Podcast by Committee is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And you know, it's not just sports, it's the holidays. It'll look, maybe you like music and you like theater. It doesn't have to be a gift. Maybe sometimes it's nice to get sports out of your life for a minute and go see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child or a Jonas Brothers concert, right? But anyway, if sports are your thing, game time's for it. If music, if theater, whatever kind of performance that has a ticket, game time probably has it. So check out game time. Please, they support our show. We should support them. The Game Time app is simple. It's quick and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Podcast by committee. Special Thanksgiving episode. The second Thanksgiving episode we're doing. Uh, did one with Michael Beller. Doing one now with Derek Van Riper. I think this is my PBC debut, Nando. I was just thinking about that before we started recording. I didn't jump on any of the early shows because back in the summer, it was all beat writers. And some of the Thursday shows we've had, it's been Modica, it's been Beller, it's been Eric Moody. But I haven't been in the rotation yet, so I'm happy to be on. I mean, you can't be on all the shows, man. Come on, we got to give some other people chances. I have to get some rest. Yeah, you need some rest. And let Eric Moody be on a show, man. Why don't you like him? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I don't like Eric Moody. I have to come up with a reason, I guess. Yeah, think about it. Well, you've got about a half hour. Uh, think about <laughs> it throughout the show. Uh, DVR, you know, so I uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit. Just did the show with Beller. Uh, we did Thanksgiving show. We kept it fantasy football-y uh, until the end, but this one I think is going to be a different beast because you kind of stuck your neck out there, uh, apropos for Thanksgiving, and uh, and you didn't rank pumpkin pie. You've, you've got an article out there on The Athletic right now. You didn't rank pumpkin pie and uh, caused a, uh, a a blank storm in the comments of people. Well, I know your, your comments, you got 82 comments. Like One of them is about football. The rest are like, thank you for the beers, and then where's pumpkin pie? Um, <laughs> like a coward, up. like a coward, you sent me and Brandon Funston a note saying like, oh, hey, guys, I must just left pumpkin pie off. It's supposed to be number 10. Sorry about that, which I'm sorry, man. I lost all the respect for you in the world when you caved to the commenters and put it in there. Yeah, so I, I legit had a, a WordPress issue. So I had my list and I was, <laughs> I was copying and pasting. And I think what happened was I cut pumpkin pie to move it down. And I just never pasted it back in. So I'm sure something like this happened. I cut pumpkin pie. My dog started barking hysterically because she probably likes pumpkin pie and saw some other dog outside. I gave some attention to Hazel, turned back to the computer, forgot to hit the paste button, and pumpkin pie was just deleted forever. Now, I would be okay if that happened because I do think it's a bottom half of the list pie, and even that might be a generous ranking. I think it's only because the other pies below it, lemon meringue, peach, strawberry rhubarb those are things that you just would never choose if there's an alternative pie available so that's the only reason why there are three pies below pumpkin pie let me tell you something 
I go up, go to the Thousand Islands for summer, and they got, you know, distilleries open up everywhere or whatever. So the Thousand Islands, I think it's called the Thousand Islands Distillery. They make this really good bourbon um, from the corn that they grow up there and, you know, the water from the river. It's, it's delicious. And this year, they had like a sale on the strawberry rhubarb liqueur. And I bought a bottle because it was like 20 bucks. And it's one of the most, del- I just ran out. And it's one of the most delicious things I've ever had in my entire life. And they don't ship. So now I got to wait until I go eight hours north to the Thousand Islands again to get a bottle of the strawberry rhubarb liqueur. See, so. I think you're just reaching out, hoping that we have listeners near that area who could scoop up a bottle for you and kindly <laughs> mail it to you and save you an eight-hour drive. Well, DVR, okay, listen, to all the listeners, I pro- we're going to get into the, the Thanksgiving Day-only DFS stuff in a second and DVR's rankings of actual players. But let me just say this to counter. Uh, I actually have to go up there when I go up for Christmas because we bought from this old putt-putt golf course they had up there. Uh, that we used to go to as kids that has been shut down for like 10 years and like overgrown, um, but it's for sale. And so I called the number. There's this little chicken machine that we used to play with when we were kids. You put a quarter in, it spins, and the chicken makes the buck, 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 and then a, an egg drops out, and inside the egg is some kind of, you know, toy. Um, and I went by it, and it was still in there. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe they'll just sell that. So I called the dude, and he sold it to me for 300 bucks. And so we left that up there, and I got to go pick it up to have it <laughs> at our home for Christmas for all, you know, the grandkids and cousins and stuff so they could put the quarters in and, you know, I need like three days. I got to scrub the bottom and get the rust off and I got to disinfect the chicken. There were some mouse droppings in there. Ooh. But uh, I did buy the eggs and stuff them. But anyway, the point is I'm going to be up there, weather permitting, right around Christmas time to pick up the chicken machine. So I'm going to go get the, <laughs> get the strawberry rhubarb liqueur when I'm there. So I have to take notes from you. I have to learn how to be a fun uncle from you. My little brother and his wife uh, had a baby back in the summer, and you know she's only not even quite six months yet, so she doesn't really know what's going on. She's just tiny at this point. But by the next holiday season, she's going to be able to do stuff, and I'm going to have to be a lot better and a lot more fun with little kids than I am currently. So I think anytime you have an idea like that, buying an old giant chicken that spits out those toy eggs that have toys inside them. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I have to do. I have to mimic that to the best of my ability to become a good <laughs> uncle. We'll just drive around old uh, closed miniature golf courses and see what they got inside. Oh, it's just, I, I was actually near one. Uh, it was last summer, actually. Uh, I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, so a nice little mini resort town here in the Midwest. Mostly Chicago people go up there to just to relax, and sometimes people in Wisconsin actually go there too. Anyway, I, I saw a, a, a rundown mini golf course. It looked like it had been closed for maybe a year or two, so it wasn't quite as overgrown as what you're describing. Right. But I did wonder, I'm like, how much do those assets depreciate? I mean, uh, a windmill with a big hole in it, you could turn that into a doghouse, maybe. Like, I, There's just not a lot of ways to repurpose that stuff. You, you, so. buy, you just buy the miniature golf course and reopen it. That's. I actually asked the guy how much the golf course was. It was far out of my price range. Is it because of the land that it rested on, though? Like That's probably where all the value comes from. It's not from the little bricks and the turf and the No, it's, yeah, things it's people want to play course. miniature golf. This was a really awesome miniature golf course. Anyway, uh, sorry, we've gotten a little off track, I think. No. But take a look at Thousand Islands Miniature Golf Course. If I was going to, I got a whole plan if I ever have enough money to reopen it that involves like a waterfall of Thousand Islands dressing because that's where it was from. That's where it was invented (laughs) right down the street. But we can talk about this some other other time. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, strawberry rhubarb pie and DVR caving. Um, Let's jump into the DFS stuff. So, you know, 
We don't lose everybody. Uh, you you actually got very thorough with this. You didn't put prices in here, which I really appreciate. I think the prices trip people up. Um, and also, if you combine this article with the one that Ganos wrote, it's kind of cool because Ganos is like, here's how you can hand score it. Like, here, here's a printout. Print it out. You know, you don't have to have your grandfather try to figure out FanDuel. Like, here, just print these out. It's kind of easy to score because there aren't that many people playing. Um, anyway, so you ranked every quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, uh, even the kickers, the DSTs, and then went into the side dishes and the beers and stuff. Um, and then you you gave the the fantasy points allowed. You, you really, like, you gave someone everything they need to basically play DFS well on Thanksgiving Day, which yeah. was very appreciative. Yeah, you can make a, a formidable DFS lineup. I mean, it's a three-game slate. Anything can happen in a three-game slate. It's weird to see these for football, unless you play late afternoon standalone slates on Sundays, and I don't really know many people who do play those. Um, you're used to playing 10-plus games. You know, you take out yeah. Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, bi-week teams, and you get about 10 games left most weeks. So you have plenty of options, and, and the strategies are a bit different with the larger slates, but I think some of the, the core principles still apply. I mean, if you think about these three games, Bears-Lions, low over-under, could be a total grind. I mean, Jeff Driscoll's banged up. He might not even play. It might be David Blau, the rookie out of Purdue, starting this game for the Lions, which would be really bad, potentially. Uh, Bills-Cowboys, you know, two really good defenses there. Saints-Falcons, higher scoring game, maybe a high 40s over-under. Saints are favored by seven. All these games are indoors, so you're not worried about weather. But Saints-Falcons is where everyone's going to want to start their builds. And I think the first thing you'd want to do, if you're going to play in the wishbone on DraftKings or any of the tournaments, whether it's a dollar, three, twenty, doesn't matter. You want to do something that's a little bit different. That's the that's the way to win any tournament, regardless of the number of games, right? So you have to think, okay, am I stacking Bills? Am I stacking Bears? Am I stacking Lions? Or am I doing something really odd, like not playing a running back in the flex spot or playing two tight ends on a slate where there really aren't more than one or two good tight ends to play. Like there's a bunch of different ways you can do it, but you do have to do something weird to have a different lineup on a day like Thursday. Yeah, that, that's so that's kind of what I wanted to get into was the whole strategy of it all. Like for me, you know, every 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 year I play, well, I guess every year for like the last four years, as long as it's been in existence, the Thanksgiving only slate. And I put in like three entries, not in the same thing. I just spread them across. Um because it's fun. And by the end of the first game I'm like, all right, I'm I'm dead. So see you later. <laughs> but like I like I don't want to get too deep into the strategy. I just want to pick a team and like have these crazy gamble high hopes like Dawson Knox, who might not even be because he's a contrarian play and probably cheap. But uh, you know what I mean? Like so just is there like a base strategy? Like I know you're just explaining the contrarian way of doing it, but do we have to stack? I mean, do we have to do something weird? You you don't have to. You, you can you can win doing things that are mathematically not optimal. It, it happens. Well, and it, you're talking about taking down like a, taking down a tournament. I'm talking about finishing like the top half of a you know six thousand person fifty fifty maybe. Yeah, right. If you're playing a fifty fifty, then you're really just looking for the players that are priced incorrectly. I mean, you're just looking for the best values on the board, and you're not worried about the ownership at all, right? You're just trying to find the most touches and targets for the least amount of money with those non-Michael Thomas and non-Ezekiel Elliott roster spots. But if you're trying to bring down a tournament, if you want to play Dawson Knox, I think that's that's smart, right? So 
think about that game for a second. Buffalo going into Dawson Dallas. Dawson Ox, your number four tight end, by the way. Yeah, he's four. Th- the, the difference between the third tight end and the eighth tight end, it's like it's next to nothing. It, it's a bad, bad group. But if you're going to play Dawson Knox, you probably are not going to play John Brown. And we've seen Dallas do a pretty good job of, of shutting down top receivers. But maybe you do want to go ahead and follow through with the Bills stack because Josh Allen is the third most expensive quarterback on DraftKings. So I think that's going to kind of lower his ownership a little bit relative to the field. If you can pay 200 more for Matt Ryan or 600 more for Breeze or 500 less for Dak Prescott, I think most people in the pool are going to talk themselves into one of those three other options. So Josh Allen's really interesting. So maybe you pair Allen with Dawson Knox and, you know, John Brown, maybe he's lower owned than he should be, but I'd probably do something different at receiver. Maybe just throw Cole Beasley in. I mean, it's a full PPR situation on DraftKings, right? So you're kind of fading John Brown, but you're loading up the Bills offense, hoping for maybe three passing TDs from Josh Allen and one rushing score where the three passing TDs are split between Beasley and Knox. Like you're just hoping for the dream scenario when you're stacking players like that. How do you approach the the random dude? Like, you know, every Thanksgiving there's that guy. And oh, I'll take, you know, there used to be Herman Moore every year. I remember Herman Moore always having good games on Thanksgiving. And I think I actually did a story on that like a while ago, maybe like 10 years ago, tracing Herman Moore every Thanksgiving game, uh, you know, for the, the previous 15 years. And Herman Moore was like the most steady of all the wide receivers on Thanksgiving. Um, but like, you know, just going down like to, let's say, 16 to 22 on your list, um, Tavon Austin, Traquan Smith, Russell Gage, are, are you targeting anyone specifically at that end? Or are you just kind of like throwing up your hands and being like, maybe it's Danny Amendola week. Let's find out. Yeah, it, it's a little bit more like what you just described. Maybe it's Danny Amendola week. It sort of depends on what I have left at the end of my roster. So the first priority is actually to get Michael Thomas in the lineup. So if I'm only building one lineup, I do want Michael Thomas in it. I think he's still underpriced. He's 9100 on DraftKings. He should probably cost at least 10000 Just the way they're using him, the high volume of catches he's bringing in right now, fading Michael Thomas if you only have one lineup probably isn't the best way to go. It's okay to have some chalk, so go ahead and put him in. Um, I'm probably going to go ahead and lock in Ezekiel Elliott at 7400 For as good as that Buffalo defense is at stopping the pass, they're kind of just middle of the road against the run. And that's where things kind of open up where you say, okay, I've got my two chalky pieces in. Where do I get value? So if you were to put the Bills stack we just talked about, Allen, Beasley, and Knox with Zeke and Michael Thomas, it leaves you about 5K per spot for one more running back, one more receiver, a flex spot, and a defense. And I don't know if you have this same approach in DFS, but I don't care about my defense at all. like Because defensive touchdowns and things that cause defenses to go off are so random, short of avoiding the absolute worst defenses in a terrible spot. I mean, if we're talking about the Dolphins playing the Chiefs at Arrowhead on a normal Sunday, okay, I'm not going to play the Dolphins defense at 1,700. Like, I'll, I'll look for a defense that can actually get some pressure and and do some things that are, are a little more helpful on the bottom end. But generally speaking, I don't worry if I have the best defense, the third best defense, or the fifth best defense. I just want to save money there and use that extra couple hundred dollars to get upgrades elsewhere. I'm uh I'm you know what I like to fancy myself like the guy who likes to look at defenses and come up with you know ways to pick the best one and how to kind of like justify oh the Falcons or you know but I can't like I'm like I'm just gonna 
whatever money I have left, I get that DST and just kind of hope like some weird kind of four interception game happens out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's uh, that's what I think makes the most sense in DFS, especially. Oh, thanks. But whether it's the Lions like playing Jeff Driscoll or David Blau or whoever they're playing at quarterback, like they're playing a backup. They're not going to play Matthew. Well, yeah, Stafford, that was, right? that's why I was surprised you had the, Bear, the Bears only third. Yeah. In your I, DST ranks. It's it's weird. It's surprising, too. They're the fourth most expensive on DraftKings, so they're probably going to be the highest owned defense because everyone's going to want to pay down. I'm okay with having the chalk defense if it plays out that way. If, if that's the way the numbers fit. If I have to go down to the Falcons or the Bills, so be it. I mean, the Bills, they can ball hawk in the secondary. Dak could make a couple of mistakes. If one of those mistakes gets returned for a touchdown, even if the Bills give up 20-plus points, they could score 12 or 15 fantasy points. And for 2,200, that's really all you would need. Yeah, I, mean, I remember a time in the preseason when the Bills and the Bears were like the two premier defenses. And yeah. now they're ranked third and fifth in your DST rankings for Thanksgiving. I mean, I paid six bucks for the Bears in the Flex League in a $200 auction league. I paid six, and I was like, I did that on purpose. Like, I think I got into a bidding war after $2. <laughs> it's, it's crushing. What's, you know, like Chuck Pagano, man. He's supposed to be awesome. Yeah, if, if they they lost Akeem Hicks and that really changed their ability to stop the run, I think if they were still stuffing the run effectively, they might be one of the best defenses in the league. I think they're still not that far off that, but that's made them much more beatable than they've been uh, the last couple of seasons. But uh, as you kind of look and put the pieces together, I think what you're looking for is a little bit of correlation with each of your plays, right? So I mentioned Michael Thomas. You you want to have something on the Atlanta side coming back the other way. Julio Jones is a little banged up. He went back into that game after suffering that shoulder injury on Sunday. Kind of looks like he's going to play. So you could run Thomas and Julio in the same lineup together. There's there's room budget-wise to do that with this sort of fake lineup that we're building uh, as we go along. This and is a very real lineup, DVR. It's very real. It's actually it's very real the, to me. Yeah, the, the pieces are coming together, uh, and it leaves you with about five K for that second running back spot and for a flex spot. And there are plenty of guys in that range that you can you can use, right? So we're, we're talking about playing maybe the Bears defense. We don't have any Bears on offense yet. I think David Montgomery is going to be a very high owned player because the Lions. So I was are thinking atrocious. the opposite. Oh, really? I, I thought people were just like they're so sick of David Montgomery. That's the vibe I got. Like, I, you know, some tweets out there this week were like, David Montgomery, uh, who was it? It was one of the ball blast women, I think, put it out there saying, like, for all the rookie running backs with a large share of carries, David Montgomery has been statistically, I think, the most disappointing. Yeah, I mean, he just had this matchup a few weeks ago. And like all rookie, rookie running backs in history, sorry. Not, not this year, like, throughout the years, rookie running backs who had, like, you know, 70% of the team's carries. He's been the most disappointing, um, like a yard per average statistically. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, it, it's it's ugly. The thing that he's doing that I think props him up a little bit more, aside from getting you know, 13 or more carries in each of the last four, he's getting targets in the passing game. Like They're using Tariq Cohen a bit less than I would have expected. I think the way they were using Cohen last year made a lot of sense to me. Like I, I thought they'd continue that and try to get him the ball out in space. But David Montgomery looks like he's got a floor of about 15 touches right now. And if the Bears are actually holding a lead throughout, there's a shot that he gets 20 or even 25. And at 5,400 against that defense, I think you want to go ahead and lock him in. But I think he is East Chalk. Like he, you're, you're not really getting him at a, a low, low ownership just because people are going to start to put the pieces together around Thomas and Elliott. 
and they're going to see that he's the perfect fit for that RB2 spot. Uh, you know, I was just, well, you were talking, I quickly glanced at what channel the Cowboys game was on. It's the 430 game on CBS. And because, sorry, I didn't mean to take us totally off track, but the Jason Witten at number three for tight end I thought was interesting. Um, a, that he wasn't number two and you got Hawkinson ahead of him, but also this is a guy who like went, worked for Fox for a year and then said, see you later. And I was just thinking, maybe stupidly, if this is a Fox game, Maybe he wouldn't have such a great game. You know, maybe some people would uh, get inside his head. Like, you quit on Fox. What's wrong with you? <laughs> the fact that it's on CBS, I think, frees him up. And I kind of like this Jason Witten play all of a sudden. I I think the thing about Is that Witten, crazy? That's crazy, right? It is. That's um, that's an interesting path to a, a conclusion that you can come to a different way. Uh, if you, you look at the target volume over the last four games, he's got 25 targets over the last, over the last four. Um, it's about six targets per game. For 3,300. And we know some of those targets might come in the red zone, too. So if you think about the Cowboys, think about the Bills' defense, uh, Tredavious White is probably going to be covering Amari Cooper. Cooper's been banged up, so I think there's some questions as to how effective Amari Cooper can be with a tough matchup at less than 100%. And that might open things up for either Randall Cobb out of the slot, uh, Michael Gallup on the other side, or Jason Witten at tight end. So I, I think the you could end up talking yourself into Witten for a totally different reason, and it could end up being a perfectly fine play at that price. But not great. Well, I mean, it's after Jared Cook, unless Austin Hooper plays, which I still think is a long shot, why not? There's there's so little that separates Witten from Hawkinson, from Dawson Knox, even from like Blake Jarwin in a given week if Jarwin's also going to get four or five targets. I mean, that's... That's the crazy thing here. And the other guy that's kind of interesting at tight end, if you were to play, is Adam Shaheen for the Bears. I think he'd be extremely low-owned, but I, I just don't think he's coming back. And his role is very questionable anyway. But he's one of those guys that he actually stood out to a lot of people that watch the team on a regular basis. This was at training camp, I think, a year ago. And because Trey Burton was healthy at that time, he didn't really get a chance to play much. And you never know if he just gets that opportunity down the stretch here, he's at least got a chance to audition for that spot for the future, but I don't know. I don't think he's going to play this week. Emery won me over with his Jesper Horstead story last week. And I saw it, you know, I had picked up Jesper Horstead on a team where I'm totally, totally, hugely desperate uh, for anything. I, I dropped, OJ, I've been starting OJ Howard. So I dropped OJ Howard for Jesper Horstead just because it can't get any worse. Um, and it didn't. I mean, he had a reception. So there was a point. But I'm a Trey Burton owner. You know, I had Trey Burton on a lot of teams. I had a lot of O.J. Howard, a lot of Evan Ingram. So I'm kind of in a, you know, and then when Evan Ingram got hurt, I went and picked up uh, Red Ellison, and that didn't work out well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, th- maybe that's why I'm focusing so much on tight ends because I've just been, like, so all over the map with the tight ends this year that, I don't know. I don't know. I think I might go Hawkinson and just do one of those things where I'm like, all right, please do well. Have a miracle game for me. It's a 1230 game. I'll be getting a little buzz, you know, DVR, and then by 3.30, you're like, oh, man, yeah, TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> TJ Hawkinson, first TD since week four. He, he's due. He had one called back early in the season against Philadelphia, too. Uh, had the injury that cost him some time. But you see a lot of fives and sixes and even sevens in his game log for, for targets. I mean, the only thing that is a downgrade for him is just he's been playing without Stafford. I mean, I, we would all would like him better with Stafford, but that's why you're getting a discount. So... Uh, I, I think it's easier for teams to throw on the Bears uh, with their tight ends. I think the corners play really well on the outside. That makes things tough for receivers. So 
you know, Galladay and Marvin Jones are, are in for potentially difficult days given the matchup and the quarterback issues. A guy like Hawkinson's a nice big target underneath, shorter routes, intermediate routes, and he's good after the catch too. So he can actually take a ball from five or ten yards away from the line of scrimmage and turn it into a big gain. Like he has enough speed for a tight end to be a big play threat. Can you hear that siren? This is our New York podcast studio in the it must be right below. Uh, sorry, I, I, you, I know you heard it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> anyway, I hope nothing's wrong with the building. Um, Devar, by the way, you, are you a, you, a runner? You turkey trotting? I don't run on Thanksgiving very often, um, but I, I'm the kind of person who could do that. Like I do like to run 5K distances just for, I don't know, health reasons, right? Just to be able to go eat more food, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, never got into it, but uh, there's like a, there's a charitable thing. Well, anyway, here's an idea that I had. <laughs> so, like, uh, pretend I did the turkey trot, take a picture at the end, wherever it is, and use. I think Mick Ultra is giving like a free Mick Ultra if you do it, or they're at least giving money to charity if you hashtag something. You get like a dollar donated to. I want to say City Harvest. I don't know. I tweeted something out last week. I just thought it was funny that someone's the official sponsor of Turkey Trotters, and uh, there's free beer involved. That's and charity. Usually, and charity. That's usually all pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I always, you know, like I, as a kid, you're like, oh, the Syracuse Turkey Trot. And I'm like, yeah, pass, hard pass, please. <laughs> that the corporate challenge. I have no need for any of it. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm totally with you though. It, it's it's one of those things you think about the turkey trot, and it sounds like a good idea. And then living in places like New York or Wisconsin, where it's oddly cold some years on Thanksgiving, it's very easy to talk yourself out of it. Like if you're about to register and you look outside on November fifth and there's snow on the ground, the turkey trot yeah. looks like a pretty bad idea. Like if you have the, <laughs> the really nice mild fall that runs into November then maybe you end up running that 5K on Thanksgiving morning. Maybe just do it on your own the next day or something. Yeah. 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 yeah the, the Black Friday run. How come that's not a thing? I don't know. It should be. TVs, I guess. I refuse. I will never do that. I, I, yeah. It doesn't matter. If I have nine kids someday and, and they have really high expectations for Christmas, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going shopping on Black Friday to deliver on those expectations at a discount. This is great. This is the origin story for the fun uncle, Derek Van Riper. When they look back, they listen, to that, listen to that podcast from uh, Thanksgiving 2019. That's his origin story. <laughs> fun uncle <laughs> by Todd Stevens. Uh, here's a question for you, DVR. Coming back to football, Bo Scarborough. Uh, you know, I, I feel like his appeal to me is he's LeGarrette Blunt, And that's Matt Patricia coming for that New England system. He's got his big bruising tail back. I don't know why. I actually don't know why it took him so long to actually get to Bo Scarborough. Um, but you, you know, like last year, I remember liking Legarrette Blunt a lot and saying, like, you know, Legarrette Blunt is more than just a goal line Jerome Bettis end of his career back. Like he's had a, a few thousand yard seasons. He scored a ton of touchdowns. And Patricia, like that was the first guy Patricia signed when he took the job with Detroit. And now you look at Bo Scarborough and you're like, that's Legarrette Blunt, man. Like it's and that's the guy they wanted in the system. So why are we higher on Bo Scarborough? I know you're you got him at five. But uh, I think when I'm putting together this squad, Bo Scarborough is going to be the first guy I click on. 
Yeah, he, not Michael Thomas. Not Mike. I don't know. I, I, I want to lock in Michael Thomas first, but order's not critically important if you're going to get him in there anyway. Uh, with, Bar- with Bo Scarborough, I mean, you're just looking at a guy that doesn't catch passes. So in the event that the Bears get up a lot early on, if they were to get up 14-0 in the first half, you maybe end up with a guy who gets you 8-10 to 10 carries. And because they're not using him as a pass catcher, he disappears. So then he becomes really touchdown dependent. So... I think that's why he's discounted, but I do like him as a runner. The Lions seem to like him too, and we've seen players like this go off. I mean, if he scores a couple of touchdowns, if the, if the opposite happens, if the Lions go up early, he's probably a big part of how they did it. So I think there's definitely a, a tournament case to be made for Scarborough. I think like you could look at Bo Scarborough, and like here's the way I tell the future with my fantasy football. I see him eating that turkey leg in the pictures after you know two touchdowns and 86 yards. You know what I mean? Like I, I see him with his helmet off, with you know, kind of like just kind of torn up kind of jersey, eating that turkey leg, and that's that's in my brain. That's Bo Scarborough. That's like his perfect role. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's basically what what playing DFS on Thanksgiving is. It's picturing a player in each of the three games or a combination of players because sometimes it's two that come over to the table and eat the turkey afterwards, and like making sure you have all of the turkey eaters on your roster that day. That that's the goal. That's so. it. Yeah, and there's certain players that I don't know what it is about them. Maybe, yeah, Bar- Bo Scarborough is this, this big physical back, so maybe it's him. Josh Allen, you know, a quarterback from Wyoming, kind of seems the kind of guy that would eat a lot of turkey legs. So you just have a, a, there's certain players that have that galloping gobbler feel to them. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, all, it's all gut at, at that point, but that's the fun part of it. Frank Gore. Frank Gore. Seems like one of those guys, right? I mean, Frank Gore could he's he could do the exact same thing as Scarborough. Like he he could get 15, 18 carries, find the end zone twice, maybe top out around seventy or eighty yards. We know he's not going to catch passes, but Frank Gore is going to be really low owned at that price. He's probably going to be among running backs. I think Kamara's going to be owned more. Singletary, Murray, Frank, Cohen. Paul. He's probably going to be like seven. You think or eight Singletary would be owned second most owned? Uh, it would be Elliot Kamara, Singletary, probably, right? Yeah, I think Singletary probably be third. And then I think Montgomery would be right in that same range. Like, if we had to put percentages on it, I'd say if Singletary is between 15 and 20% owned, even that might be low because it's only a three game slate. Div Montgomery is right in that similar range, maybe just at the lower end of it. Man, I see this is what, like, I like my Thanksgiving DFS games to be fun, not uh, super, like, guessing the ownership. But I guess we have to do it as a service to the people. Well, and you asked the question before that I, I kind of I don't I don't think I dodged it. I just didn't really answer it because we talked about something else. But uh, you said what are you what are you looking for when you're kind of taking shots? I think it was was the the gist of the question. Like what's the what stands out when you're trying to find the random player who might do something on Thanksgiving? And for me, in recent years, it's been looking at red zone opportunities. So there's an NFL team trends stats page that we put together when I was at Rotowire. And you can go team by team, and you can drill down by position and situation. And you can click in, like I'm clicking on Dallas right now, hitting red zone opportunities. And you can even cut it down to the last three weeks. You can do the whole season, whatever you want to do. And I just kind of look through and see if there's anybody who in the last few games is getting a larger share of red zone carries and or targets than expected. So one guy that kind of stands out to me as I look at the Cowboys 
is actually Tony Pollard. You know, with, with Zeke being such a, an obvious sort of chalk play at that price at 7400 if you were going to fade Zeke, maybe because you're going to play Alvin Kamara in that spot and you can't afford both, playing Tony Pollard as a flex isn't necessarily a bad idea. I mean, he's, he's a low-volume player right now. We're talking right. probably seven or eight targets and touches combined. But as we saw in that game against the Lions, you get him out in space, he's he's got some abilities to, to make guys miss. He's got that, that little bit of extra upside you're looking for. Let me help you out here, DVR, because we're friends and it's Thanksgiving. Uh, and I've, I've said this a couple times. I just actually said it w- with, uh, with Beller. The Cowboys finished that Sunday night game late, you know, like midnight. Now they followed up with a Thanksgiving game, right? Next week, they have another Thursday night game. They don't even have the long break. They have to play again on Thursday. So maybe there's something there where they're like, you know, if we're up a little 14-3 maybe, let's let Pollard play a lot and we'll rest Zeke for this next game coming up. I mean, he's, he, he just played a ton. We're playing again. Like they got three games in 11 days. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a, another case for Pollard to say, you know, the backup's going to play a bit because we're going to try and rest Zeke because of this wear and tear that's happening. And Pollard's not cheap either. I mean, at 4,900 for the number of touches he's been getting, that's probably going to keep ownership very low. So if you're just looking for high upside, what could go right? Tony Pollard scratches that itch. He, like he, he looks like he could do something with even that small role that makes him uh, a very profitable player if things go right. All right, so our lineup so far is Mitchell Trubisky, Bo Scarborough, Tony Pollard. That's what you've got. I was just so kidding. Far. I was just kidding. Yeah, that's mine so far. <laughs> and then Thomas, Julio, and Allen Robinson. I'll pay up there. Yep. And, uh, t- man, tight end. I don't even want to touch tight end. I don't like. I don't believe in Jared Cook. Hawkinson's could swing hugely either way. Jason Witten on CBS. Maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah, you you were really into that narrative. So I, th- I think you. Have <laughs> I don't to have another it. narrative. Do you have a better tight end narrative than Jason Witten playing on the network that didn't? Um. Uh, hire him. I had he quit on. I, unless Blake Jarwin worked on a turkey farm in high school or something, no. Right. Thank you, Jared Cook. I can't trust. I just can't do it. It's a, uh, it's maybe a Dawson bad. Knox. You know the the Buffalo writer uh, Joe Bascalia had mentioned that Dawson Knox was a guy you should watch. Last week, he said he's coming up. He's playing more. He's getting more involved in practices. Maybe Dawson Knox is the way to go. But then you got to go back and you got to change your quarterback to Josh Allen, maybe. Right to take advantage of that if you don't have any other bills. Yeah, I I, I think so. You're talking about you had Trubisky lined up, Scarborough, and then Allen Robinson. So you got a little bit of Bears Lions already. I was kind of joking about the Trubisky thing. That yeah, was a I. I, mean, I wanted you to correct me and say no, he sucks. I think if you're playing a tournament, I think that's the sort of thing you need to strongly consider doing, though, to have a chance. I mean, if you're playing up against a hundred K plus lineups, you have to do something to be very different in your base and that something different needs to be profitable. And I don't know the lions, if they can't keep the ball, Mitchell Trubisky and the bears might run a lot more plays than they will in a typical week. And it might be pretty ugly, but they they could grind their way to a 22 point day from Trubisky. And if Alan Robinson is his preferred target, then that's all you need. Maybe it's just those two. But uh, the other thing to keep an eye on Taylor Gabriel suffered a concussion on Sunday. So Anthony Miller, who's pretty cheap, he'll be popular. But if, if Taylor Gabriel's out, that does bump up Anthony Miller even more. And if you're just kind of looking at that 
cash game sort of lineup, I think he becomes a guy you can play. Uh, and I think it would make Tariq Cohen more interesting in tournaments just because there's more targets to go around in that offense. You know, I like Anthony Miller a lot, but I, like, and this happens to me, and this is probably my own, uh, well, definitely my own issue. Uh, when so many people start sweating the guy so hard, and I've heard Anthony Miller's name so much in like the last three weeks, I'm off him completely. I'm like, okay, here's like the guy that everybody loves. All the fantasy hipster analysts love Anthony Miller now all of a sudden. And uh, I just like, I can't, like, logically I should, but I just can't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's uh, anger or <laughs> what's wrong with me, DVR. <laughs> but uh, this poor guy, Anthony Miller, is suffering because so many people are hot on him. I just don't want to be on him. I thought he was really, make really good. He was, I mean, he was hurt coming out of training camp. So I think that had a lot to do with why he's been a disappointment to this he point. He was hurt last year. He was coming off shoulder surgery or broken shoulder off of last year, right? Yeah, and I think it was a hand that he hurt this preseason, if I'm remembering correctly. So yeah. I still really believe in the talent, but then the problem, generally speaking, like in a season-long league, is that you're relying on Mitchell Trubisky every single right. week. But yeah, 20 targets now the last two games for Anthony Miller, so it kind of seems like he's settling in as maybe that true number two receiver opposite Allen Robinson. And given how well Robinson's playing, he's going to command a lot of attention, so Miller's going to have pretty favorable coverages on most plays. Let me ask you this. Uh, Traquan Smith playing about uh, two weeks ago, he played about 61%. Last week, he was 70-something percent. Um, does that mean anything to you? I mean, he's not getting the stats, but he's playing a lot of the snaps. Yeah. Snaps, stats. He's still, because they concentrate so much volume on Elvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, like they're still kind of a coin flip Smith versus Ted Ginn thing that you're kind of doing every single week. Yeah. Uh, but I think in in a, in a tournament sort of stack, even as a standalone play, if you're uh, maybe maybe you're only going to play one of Thomas and Kamara, like maybe Smith is the other guy you pair with them. So you play two Saints, but it's not the two big Saints. It's one of the two, and then a smaller salary player like Traquan Smith, just hoping you get that long TD. Hmm. I don't know. That seems like the gamble that I want to take. He's a fun player. I, I expected more, but I'm just beginning to accept that the Saints might be a bit like a modern Tech Mobile team with the way they concentrate those targets. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. But still, uh, you know, we're not doing the beat writer roundup this week. That would have been a good question for for Cat Terrell. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Why is he playing so much and not getting the ball? <sighs> is he a you know, diversionary tactic or is he just not there yet? You know, did I like his blocking or something on the outside? Is that part? I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really looked into Traquan Smith. He's only been back for three weeks, so I really haven't gotten that deep. Hmm. How about Russell Gage? I like over Traquan Smith. Yeah, you got you got Russell Gage at fifteen. You got Traquan Smith at seventeen. I mean, if you're going to go big and get Michael Thomas and maybe like a Calvin Ridley, so you, like you can, like you said, you can get both sides of that game. Maybe you, uh, I mean, can you pair Calvin Ridley with Russell Gage or is Russell Gage the risk that you take to get in that Atlanta New Orleans passing game? Uh, I think you could pair them together. I think uh, unless you're making a Falcon stack, though, you're probably just going to play one of Jones, Ridley, or Russell Gage. And right. Gage at 4,500, there's a bunch of slot receivers that get a good number of targets. He's right there. In the thick of those uh, those rankings, though, seven targets per game over the last four. Like since Austin Hooper went down, he's just become the next guy behind Jones and Ridley. 
Uh, it's a lot. Well, he was like, supposed to be Sanu. Uh, Jason Butt told us like he's he's the Sanu. Like he's the Sanu. The, yeah, yeah. The new it, Sanu. The Sanu trade too also like opened that up a lot because it started even before Hooper got hurt. Looking back at it, but forty five hundred for him. I mean, it's I like him a little more than Danny Amendola, quite a bit more because right. the quarterback situation's better, and. I like him probably in DraftKings because of the five hundred dollars you save. I like him more than Randall Cobb as well. I, I think you can. Uh, you don't. You can't say that on this show. You're a guest on this show, but we do not besmirch Randall Cobb on podcast by committee. <laughs> Come on, man! I'm a Green Bay guy. I, I, you take I, it back. I, I'm obviously a pretty big Randall Cobb fan, but uh, that are you? Or do you feel betrayed by Randall Cobb? No, I, let's I, get into that TVR. I feel like they. When you look at the Packers receiving core behind Devontae Adams and Considered they let Randall Cobb walk, that looks like a pretty big mistake. Even if Randall Cobb's just a crafty veteran slot guy who's not the high upside player he was earlier in his career, that receiving core, the depth is bad. So Randall Cobb should still be a Packer. I can get behind that. Randall Cobb I was on early because he lost like a 72-yard touchdown pass in like week two or three. And then I think something else, there was something else in there. And you know, it's that database that we have that the readers don't seem to like for some reason, but I do. Uh, that tells you all the big plays that were lost to penalties. Um, and Randall Cobb was like one of those guys. It was last year was Derrick Henry. That's what started for me last year was Derrick Henry lost like an 82 yard touchdown run because of like a phantom holding call. And this year, Dak Prescott and Randall Cobb lost like a 72 yard touchdown pass because of that. And if you add those numbers to their totals, I mean, yeah, whatever it could have. Maybe not have happened without the holding. It's questionable, whatever. Uh, it should like they're producing. You know what I mean? It shows you they're getting targeted and they're producing more than the numbers show you. And so I thought that he would eventually break out, and he did, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, excited for him. On an 80 yard run, it's possible that the hold was on the opposite side of the line. The play might have gone left. The hold might have been on the right tackle. Like, it probably probably didn't impact the outcome of the play in that case. If it was the, right. the key block that sprung the 80-yard run, well, yeah, then the run wasn't going to happen. So I, I think it's it's worth accounting for those things and seeing if there's any players that are really getting an extraordinary number of, of plays and, and yards and TDs brought back. Like, there's going to be outliers in that list every year. I think those are interesting players. I uh, I don't know. I, I think it, it just shows... Like, I've got this weird obsession with plays called back because there's no database anywhere for it. You can't look it up. It doesn't it doesn't exist. No one's compiled this list. And it shows like if you believe in Michael Salfino's market share report and the usage stuff, it kind of shows usage of plays that were taken away. Like that don't show up anywhere except in the play-by-play logs. And you got to go through every single game and go through the play-by-play logs to compile it. And it's kind of like, "Oh, here's this great secret. This guy should have 170 more receiving yards, but a couple holds called a couple big plays back yeah i'm with you i I like the idea you don't have to say that (laughs) because you feel bad about randall cobb do you i know we've gone way over like the half hour that you like to keep this so uh i I wrote a really really tight ship as you know i'm I'm (laughs) very angry about a lot of things it doesn't feel right without ian here i'm already writing a scathing email to you about the length of this podcast while we're recording it you know, it's Thanksgiving, and I figure people are taking long drives, so maybe they don't want a 30-minute podcast. Maybe they want a 45-minute one. No, no I, think, I think the 45 is, is more than okay. Yeah, people are going to get stuck in traffic. I'm really sorry if you're stuck in traffic right now and that hit close to home for you, but um, I've been on the road during the holidays, and it's rough out there. So having something nice to listen to is, is great. 
I'd like to close the show down with a couple Thanksgiving theme questions for you. Okay. Uh, number one, what was the RotoWire potluck like, and was Chris List there? No, List didn't attend. Uh, yeah. This was in Madison, uh, so it was um, Peter Shanky. No, Pete didn't show up either. I think Pete. Prob- oh, come on. I, so I think Pete left town. I think Pete would would go see uh, either his family because his family's from Minneapolis or somewhere up near there, uh, and his wife's family is from like Indy. So they weren't usually around for that. But uh, this was uh, Tim Schuler, the one of the one of the behind the scenes guys, but the the COO. Uh, he he was one of the guys that was home for the the holidays in in Madison. Uh, I want to say. Man, Shannon McEwen might have been there, the ad sales guy. I, I, right. I, I, I met him at a couple FSGAs. Yeah, I, I might be mixing up a couple of different parties at the same location, but uh, it was a handful of us. It was about eight of us that were there. You know, the thing was, we had somebody who had either helped make a turkey before or made one prior to that year, so the turkey turned out good. And if you get the turkey right, everything else is actually pretty easy, so it's just a matter of not making one person prepare the whole meal because the scope of the meal is ridiculous. Like if, if one person, if there is a person in your family that prepares half the food or more, you are very lucky because that person uh, is doing an amazing amount of work for everybody else. I agree. What a great guy you are, DVR. That sound rehearsed. <laughs> I just all you mothers two, out there. I show up to two Thanksgivings and do almost nothing, which I know is not going to last forever. Like I, as as things change over time, there's going to be a point where you know my wife's family or my family they're going to say, "Hey, you know, we're too old to do all the work, so you're going to do all the work now." Like it's going to flip eventually. So I'm enjoying the the freeloading, you know, while I can because I know those days are probably numbered. I understand. You don't know that though. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna. As soon as I have a house, it's gonna flip. I know it. Well, you never know. Hasn't for me. So, uh, number two, more of a more of a comment that I had. Uh, this sour cream blackberry pie sounds intriguing, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think you did a good enough job of explaining what it is. Like, is it creamy like a pumpkin pie? Is it chunky like a like what? What is it? Like, what, what's the texture? The texture, I would say, is almost like a like a fluffy, like a custard sort of filling. Um, the sour cream makes it kind of play a, a little more creamy, and then but it's got a crust. It's crusted on top. It's not like pumpkin, like bare naked on top. It's uh, I'm trying to picture this. It's actually exposed berries on the top, so it, there's right. no there's no lattice, there's no top crust on it. Um, but it, it's kind of got like when you slice it and you take a, a slice out of the pie, if you jiggle the plate a little it it wobbles it's got a little bit of like a jello-y final consistency to it if i had to describe texture but it it's really good um there's a recipe out there i, I put it in the bottom of the article and i i think it's one of those things that sounds pretty weird but if you have it you'll just want to have that every time you have pie forever it, it's so good <laughs> i'm gonna try it man like where can i get it uh, you can order them online from a place called the Norsky Nook in Wisconsin. Well, it's too late now. Come on, a little, little late Are you now. Paid by the Norsky Nook? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting paid on <laughs> the table to, <laughs> to sell pie. It's <laughs> <laughs> this big pie conspiracy. No, so uh, shout out to the Norsky Nook. You, you can make. I think you could make this, Nando. I, I think, and you can if you don't like blackberries, if you like blueberries or strawberries or whatever, instead you could swap berries one for one. Like the recipe I posted is for linion berries. 
Uh, I don't even know if I can buy those at the grocery store here. I've never oh, seen them. Oh, they have them. jam. I've, I actually bought some because I, there's a pancake place that sells these really thin pancakes by me. And that comes with the, I just called them ligonberries because I've never heard it out loud, I guess. But linion berries uh, comes with like the jam that you can put on the pancake and it's delicious. Yeah, we got a place like that up in uh, Door County. They, uh, Swedish pancakes. The linion berries are yes. a big deal for that. So anyway, yeah. uh, the pie recipe is in the article, in the comments, and it does have linion berries in it. You can swap, I think, pretty much any berry one for one should work fine. I don't I don't really see how that would change the final product uh, in a negative way. No, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not familiar with the pie, the texture, or really what these berries exactly taste like. So I will take your word for it. It can be done. All right. Uh, last thing, uh, I don't. I don't really like craft beer. I um, I find myself not being able to drink a lot of it. I like something really sour, and I notice a lack of sour on your list of top beers, DVR. So uh, I do like the nutmeggy stuff. Mm-hmm. What do I want on your list? Uh, if you like nutmeg stuff, Christmas ales are going to be your jam. I mean, yeah, but aren't they heavy? Aren't they usually heavy and dark and like? Uh, a little you can't have like six because it gets too kind of sugary and coats your tongue or or am I wrong yeah mo- I mean most of the beers that I recommend are not beers you would drink six of um, Mick ultra <laughs> yeah that, that would that be yeah I mean that would be there's probably the same number of calories in six of those than there are in like one 12 ounce pour of the black butte barrel aged porter that I put on the list um, if you like sours though that that duchess cherry is really nice and uh, if you've ever had like a lambic style beer that's more yes, or i have actually i have have. yes i have yeah um what's the is it lindemans is that what it's the brand it's got like the yellow label with a bunch of squiggly lines on it it's all it's all kind of blurring together for me now uh that one's widely available but i think the the duchess that i put on the list for the article i mean that's brewed in belgium i've seen it pretty much anywhere that sells imported beers that's not a gas station will probably have it all right like any decent i don't know why you have to knock gas store. stations but you know. well i mean gas stations have the traditional uh you know throw it in the cooler and go to the lake beers but they don't have a lot of craft beers even around here i would expect that in wisconsin like there's there's some but it's a very limited selection you're not going to find belgian beers at the gas stations in wisconsin i hate to disappoint you well maybe uh as I'm going to go buy a miniature golf course, you should maybe think about, I'm going to think about it like this, DVR. If you open up a gas station that has a mini mart with a bunch of these really good craft beers, wouldn't that be kind of in a way a lost leader for people to come buy gas from you? Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, wouldn't you go to that gas station? Like, oh, well, I'm here. I got to get, you, you always need gas. Rarely are you driving around with, you know, anything more than a quarter of a tank. You know, let me let me just fill up here out of respect to this place that sells lambics. Uh, yeah, I would I would sell gas and stamps along with my craft beer, and everybody would go. have to come to me to to get their craft beer because they have to get their other things along with it. <laughs> Perfect. No one else steal this idea, please. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. petrol and right. postage. It's perfect. And what's a weird beer thing that starts with a P? A weird beer thing that starts with a P? Uh, you know, like uh, pale ales. <laughs> petrol, pilsner, and pale ales. Uh, there you go. It's perfect. Uh, petrol, postage, and pilsners. Yeah, there's, there's some way to make that work. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Not you, now, Are though. you a big Scattergories guy at the holidays? Is that a big, big game night thing that you do at the DeFino no. household? 
No, we don't. We don't. Uh, we're not gamers like that. Does it get too competitive? Is that why you guys don't play, or what, what's the story there? Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just not the vibe. You know, everyone just kind of hangs out. We uh, we pick our our swap for Christmas. Um, that's about it. You know, lately I've been going to my in laws the last eight years. Uh, they're not really gaming either. Really, we just kind of hang out. The dinner goes on forever. It's very Italian, so it's like an eight hour Thanksgiving dinner. That might have something to do with it. Oh, okay. So wait a minute. So yeah, of course, you, you being Italian, you, you know for sure then like spaghetti at Thanksgiving is a real thing that happens in Italian households. No, I mean, we, we do the lasagna. Yeah, okay. But, you, you go, well, you go you one know. bigger. Yeah. Well, I mean, spaghetti is kind of weird, but lasagna, you know, something you cut and you put on a plate. You know, that's, that's how it roll. That's how we roll. Yeah. All right. It's, it's, it's penne uh, with like sausage and red sauce usually at our gathering. That sounds good. But the first, yeah. the first time you walk into a Thanksgiving and you see a giant pot full of pasta in addition to all the usual Thanksgiving things, you kind of do a double take. You're like, this, yeah. what's going on here? Like this is, this is different. I want to help you, man. We've had escarole soup several times. Oh, so. wow. Yeah. That's, um, your family seems to be even more Italian than my in-laws who hopefully don't listen <laughs> to this podcast. Why wouldn't they? Don't listen to every show? They're very supportive, but I don't think they listen to all the podcasts that I do. Oh, well. Maybe they'll invest in your gas station. They probably would. They're very nice people. (laughs) There you go. DVR, you got to invent craft gas and just make it a whole theme. Craft gas? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This is is Belgian gas, so it's (laughs) it's better. Double (laughs) dry hot gas. There's a hint of nutmeg in this gas. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, one of these days. Anyway, Ad- anyway, in the gas. You don't want adjuncts in the gas. It's bad for the. Oh, engine. I know. Maybe you could. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some way you could add the scent. Oh, Probably also a bad idea, but yeah. the, the, the double dry hopping is is getting out of control. I had a, a beer a couple weeks ago. I think it said it was quintuple dry hopped, and, and dry hopping costs a lot of money because you're adding more hops than you need to get you know more flavor, but. It's a lot of extra dry hopping. I don't know. You know, it's I hear that and like I sneeze when I have IPAs. I sneeze like twelve times in a row. I yeah. got some weird allergy. Yeah, you might Only with IPAs. Allergy. But it's it, I don't think it's with the rest. Like I can handle a hundred different kind. Like Coors Lights, I can drink all day. Have, have they ever know. confirmed that there are hops in Coors Light? I mean, I used to drink that back in college. I, don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure that there are actual hops in Coors Light. I've never. I've never verified that. Well, we can look that up after the show. Listen, I'm trying to end the show because you're the one who said half an hour. So, hey, you didn't even, you, you, you even ask me about the cranberries. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I'm not going to get into that DVR. I'm ending the show. All right, fine. You can end the show, but I'm going to say this for the record. Cranberries are a condiment. They are not a standalone side, and your stuffing and dressing does not need to be cooked in the carcass of the bird. Cook it underneath. Cook it on its own. Just don't cook it inside the turkey, please. Uh, you know, Caroline Manzo just put a video out talking about that, too, so I believe she's on your side. Uh, she was the matriarch of Real Housewives of New Jersey, uh, the Manzo family. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a right side and a wrong side on this issue for sure. So <laughs> we were watching the video last night, and I'm like, who else was just complaining about putting the stuff? Oh, DVR in a fantasy football article, right? So <laughs> your two worlds collided because uh, you're on the same side with the stuffing. Congratulations. Yeah, Alton Brown's on that side too. I, I don't usually agree with him on most things, but uh, yeah, me either. But the stuffing, he's right. <laughs> okay, on that note, on that note, 
I'd like to wish everybody the happiest of Thanksgivings. To our Canadian friends, happy Thursday. Uh, to our friends in the UK and New Zealand, we have some of you on staff here. Also, happy Thursday slash Friday. I believe you're ahead of us. Um, everybody else, be safe. Enjoy it. If you think of any ideas for Derek Van Riper's gas station in the Midwest or my putt-putt golf course up in the Thousand Islands, hit us up at podcasts at theathletic.com. Put podcast by committee in the subject line. Thank you all for joining us. Have a lovely holiday. Have a nice break. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>